0: Colossians chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 9. The Bible says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, we have remembered Dr. Ree this morning and his faithfulness. And Lord, what a model he has been for all of us. And, Lord, I pray that, um, that now as we, as we transfer our, our thinking from the faithfulness of an individual to the faithfulness of our Lord, that we can set our, our sights on you for this new year and that we can make 2016 spiritually the greatest year that any of us have had. And, Lord, I pray that you'll do things just in a special way in our church this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Have you ever said this to someone? What do you want from me? Just what do you want from me? Well, you know, we don't have to say that to God. Sometimes people will wonder what does God want them to do? And so as we get ready, we're just launching in. This is the first Sunday of the new year. I thought it would be really good for us to take some time and focus on God's prayer for us. God's prayer for us. Have you ever wondered what God wants for you specifically? God's prayer for us, Well, God tells us what He wants for us in this text. What's going on in the church at Colossae was, was there was a large Jewish community, but the church is primarily made up of Gentiles there. And in that area, there was all kinds of false religion. There was mysticism where people, and I think that we all understand that this mystical concept of religion. There was also Gnosticism. And it was the idea that there was a, a special knowledge that some people had. And they didn't believe that the material was good, that only the immaterial was good. And what Gnosticism did to Christianity was it said this. So God is the Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So God is good because He's immaterial. Jesus Christ, the Son, is not good because He has a body. Now, obviously, that's heresy. And so what the Apostle Paul does, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is he dispels a lot of that false religion in the book of Colossians. But before he starts warning people about the false doctrine, he begins by praying for them. And, of course, this was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we can see what God's prayer for us is. And so let's start in verse 9 again. The Bible says, "...for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his..." What? "...his will..." And all in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. How many of you have ever heard someone say this? I'm just praying for the will of God in this area. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I want to know what God's will for my life is. And here's the good news. As your pastor, I know what God's will for your life is. See, I had a dream. And no, no, no. I know what God's will for your life is because God tells us what His will for your life is. So let's start this morning, get your Bibles, and let's just go through and try and discern what is God's will for everyone. And before we turn, I want you to realize this, God's will is the same for everybody. God's will is the same for everybody, and He has told us what it is. So go with me to 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Just a couple of books over, 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Look at verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So here's God's will for your life. Get saved. He wants you to be saved. Why? Because He wants you to have eternal life. He doesn't want you to go to hell and be separated from Him forever. He wants you to go to heaven. And so what has He done? He came. Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless life and died on the cross for you and for me. He was buried and then three days later He rose from the dead proving that He was, is, and always will be God. If you will believe that, that He died for your sins, that He is God, that He rose from the dead, if you'll confess that to Him and believe Him, and receive him, He will save you. It is God's will that you be saved. Look with me at Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter. Chapter three. look at verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what have we learned? God wants you to be saved. He wants you to come to repentance. What does it mean? So this is God's will for everyone. He wants you to come to repentance. So here's what repentance is. I am walking this direction in my life. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that I'm walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So I think that I'm walking the way that I want to, but I'm actually walking according to the course of Satan. How many of you ever went to Disney World? Anybody here ever go to Disney World? You go to an amusement park and the, the cars were fun. You could let your kids drive the cars. They had a steering wheel and pedals and brakes. And your child could drive the car, and it was safe because there was a rail underneath it, right? And so the kids had a little bit of leeway. They could steer it a little bit, but they couldn't get very far off track because it was on a rail. Here, That's the world. They think they're walking the way that they want to, but they're, all, they're actually walking according to the power of Satan and according to His will. So what is repentance? Repentance is this. I am walking according to the course of this world, and I'm confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm confronted with the death, burial, and resurrection. I'm confronted with my sin. I'm confronted with the reality of an eternity in hell. And I say this, oh God, I believe what you're saying. Repentance is this. It's turning away from the course of this world, and it's turning to God. The Bible says this in Acts 20, 20, repentance toward God, that is that turning. It's a volitional. It's an act of the will where I turn to Him. And it's faith toward Jesus Christ. So God's will is that you repent from going with the course of this world to turning to Him as your Lord and as your Savior. And it's by faith receiving the free gift of eternal life that He has offered you. That is God's will. So God's, the first aspect of God's will for everyone is that we be saved. Then look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 15. The Bible says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. So what does it mean to walk circumspectly? Looking around. You know, in the military, they said, Have your head on a swivel. Know exactly what's going on around you. That's walk circumspectly. Circumference. Know what's going on around you. All right? See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore? Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So what is the will of God in this context? And be not drunk with wine, where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So the Bible says that God's will for our lives is that we first be saved, and then we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's be very clear about something. When you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his the Bible says, we have been all baptized by one Spirit into one body, First Corinthians 12, 13. So every person that is saved is baptized by the Holy Spirit into Jesus Christ. So if you look at the book of Ephesians, you look at the book of Colossians, there's so much that happens to us because we are in Christ. The Holy Spirit does that for us at salvation. So we are filled, or we are baptized with the Holy Spirit into Jesus Christ at salvation, but then we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means for the Holy Spirit to have complete control of your life. When someone is drunk, what do we say about them? They're under the control of the drink, right? They're not in control of what they do. How many of have ever seen someone that's drunk? You ever seen somebody that's drunk, right? You want them delivering your baby. No, 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 no. You want them driving your airplane, driving, flying. No, you don't want that person anywhere near anything of responsibility because they can't control themselves. Is that right? We are supposed to be under the complete control of the Holy Spirit of God. That is God's will for our lives. How do we do that? By yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? By understanding, back in Colossians, we'll go back there in a minute, not yet, By understanding what the will of God is. And we get that through the scriptures. So it's God's will that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And obviously we could spend a lot more time on all of these. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 3. So we understand it's God's will that we we be saved. And then it's God's will that we be filled with the holy spirit of God. And think about it this way. If you have a glass that's full of milk. All right? It's full of milk. And then you pour water in it. And you keep water pouring water into it. What's ultimately going to happen? The water is going to displace the milk. Is that right? That's, that's what's going to happen. What God wants to happen is He wants the Holy Spirit to fill you in such a way that the world has no room. Completely filled with Him. Completely filled with Him. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When that happens, then we'll be able to do this. Look at verse 3. For this is the will of God. Even your sanctification. So what is sanctification? Sanctification is where the Holy Spirit of God starts doing what I just described. Starts removing the world and filling you with the Holy Spirit. It's setting you apart for God's service. How many of you have ever had something in your life that you knew would hinder you from serving God? Right? Right. Sanctification is where God removes that thing that's hindering you from serving Him so that you were able to serve him. For me, it was sales. I was I was a salesman, I was really interested in money, and because we had grown up poor. You get ready, we would get ready for someone to take our picture and they'd say cheese. We'd line up because we thought we were going to get the cheese. We were, we were poor. I mean, we, we just didn't have any you, you young people, you don't know, they give you a credit card now. They'd do this block block of ugly, crummy cheese when I was a kid. But we, we were just poor, and I didn't want to be poor. I'll tell you a word that I hated, hand-me-down, or phrase, hand-me-down. because my brother was a lot bigger than me. Man, I looked like Dennis the Menace. I had the hair all over the place, the freckles. My clothes were all too big. We were just poor, and I hated it. And so I started selling, and I, I did very well at sales, and so when I went back to Bible college, I thought that um, you know, I, I'll just I'd been making a lot of money, I got a job doing the same thing in Tennessee, and all of a sudden I couldn't do it anymore. It's like God just took it away from me. I couldn't close a sale anymore. And I think the reason that God did that was he knew that I would want to do that and try to be a pastor. The Bible says no man that puts his hand to a plow and turns back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. We need to make sure that that when we make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we follow through with it. Amen? And God will help us do that. It's interesting. Philippians 2.13 says it this way. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. God gave me the desire and the ability to do this, and He took even if I had the desire to do the other, He took my ability to do it away. Isn't that interesting? What was God doing? He was sanctifying me for the work. Now, there's other things in my life that I need to give up that's a part of a spiritual discipline. And God always leaves those things in your life so that it is a, a, a struggle where you have to choose Him over the world. How many of you can think of something right now that either in your past or you're dealing with right now that you knew God has to take away from you for you to be able to serve Him better. Anybody have something in your mind that's like that? I won't have you say what it is. But all of us, God works in us to sanctify us. Now look at what it says, verse 3 again. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. So what is God's will for your life? You abstain from sexual sin. All kinds of sexual sin, whether it's pornography or all of the other forms of base immorality. The Bible says that sanctification, that it is God's will that you be sanctified from that. Look at verse 4. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, what's the vessel? That's you. That's your body. And here's the thing. Why is it called a vessel? Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. So here's the question. Where did you take the Holy Spirit last week? Possess your vessel, the Bible says. Abstain from fornication. Possess his vessel, end of verse 4, in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, that's evil thinking, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have forewarned you and testified. So this is an interesting thing. According to the Word of God, when there's immorality in the church. So if you have a man who commits adultery with a lady in the church, God's an avenger of that. That's going to bring destruction on your life. You're not going to lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation, but you will be chastened severely by God for doing that. If a lady does the same thing. And how many of you know that there are predators in the world, right? And so what we need to make sure that we do is that all of us remain pure. And that's God's will our lives. Then look at what it says in verse 7. For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us His Holy Spirit. What's that talking about, despising? Remember, we think of despising as hating. In the Bible, when the word despised is used, it is to disregard, to not think it's worthy of listening to. And so what the Bible is saying here is, look, if you're going to ignore me on this matter, you're not ignoring me. You're ignoring God who has given us His Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit want us to do? He wants us to be saved. It's God's will that we be saved. And then it's God's will that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are able to live a sanctified life. That we're able to, uh, it says in verse, at the end of verse 3, abstain from fornication. You know what's interesting? God knows us. God knows us. How many of you understand that the Western world, and probably all of the world, is just eaten up with sexual sin? We as believers should not participate in that. We need to be holy. We need to be holy. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Not only does He want us to be saved... And filled with the Holy Spirit, not only does He want us to be sanctified to abstain from fornication, but He also wants us to be submissive to the authority that God places in our lives. So look at First Peter chapter 2, look at verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to live in submission. Now, it's interesting the United States, with, as Americans, and the, the kind of government that we live under, we have a unique position in the world. So we are supposed to respect and honor the government that God has given us. How many of you struggle with that? Would you be honest with me? You struggle with that a little bit. And, but here's the good news. We have the opportunity to change it. Right? We as Christians need to live our faith out in the world if every person that claims to be a believer in Christ voted that way, we would not have the problems that we have. We need to not be the silent majority. We need to be the very noisy majority, right? And so things like this. So how many of you heard that, that our president is wanting to, through executive order, restrict more, further restrict our Second Amendment rights? How many of you heard that that's, that that's going to happen? Well, the good news is we have the Second Amendment. Right? And so we need to make sure that our government upholds the laws that we already have. If we will do that, then we can have our freedom. We can have our liberty. But I'll tell you this let me, let me be very clear on this. If you start talking about killing people in leadership, that's wickedness. It's interesting. The Bible doesn't say kill them, the Bible says pray for them. It doesn't mean pray over their body. And I understand anger when people start to, to violate your rights, the rights that we have from God, is that what our Constitution says? Certain unalienable rights. Where, where did we get them? We're endowed by our Creator. That's where they come from. Here, let me just acknowledge, let me deal with something real quickly. The Bible, or, <laughs> there are secularists who tell us, how many of you have heard that all of our founders were deists? How many of you have heard that? There were three. Out of the 54 or whatever men who signed the Declaration of Independence and then those that signed the Constitution, there were only three that were deists. The rest were Bible-believing Christians. Church-going, Bible-believing Christians. So if someone has told you that the majority of our fathers were deists, they're just liars. You, You can have your own opinions. You can't have your own facts. You might not like it that they were Christians, but they were Christians. Is that right? Secondly... We are told that that they were secular documents, that they were intentionally secular, and that there is a deistic influence in them. And when it says our Creator, a deist would say that God created the world and then took His hands off of it. The only problem is the document says by divine providence. So deism says that God created the world and then took His hands off it. He does not intervene. Divine providence is the direct intervention of a holy creator God. That's what our founders believed. And so we as Christians, we don't need to shy away from government. God has given us a government that we are supposed to participate in. And if we will participate in it, then we will experience the freedoms that we can have. But I can promise you this. The more wicked our nation becomes, the less freedom we will have. The first thing every Marxist does is disarm the people. Right? Right? And so if we'll have, uh, the the Bible says that God despises a false balance and Marxism is a false balance. And we can't have that. God despises it. So if we will get back to a biblical understanding of government, then we'll be okay. But listen, wanting to kill or to see harm come to the leaders that God has given you, that's not biblical. It's God's will that you submit. But in our form of government, we have the opportunity to submit and act. Isn't that a blessing? See, when this was written, Nero was the emperor. Are you glad you're not under Nero? I'm very thankful that we are not under Nero. All right, so God wants us to be submissive to those that He has put over us. And then look at Philippians 1. This is not my favorite in the list, but look at verse twenty-nine, Philippians one, and verse twenty-nine. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So, what's God's will for these Philippian Christians? That they suffer for Him. Now, here's the good news. Not many of us have had to suffer for Christ. You know, I was describing what, what Dr. Ree went through as a child. That's suffering. That's suffering. Um, for us, most of the trouble that I have, I have caused, right? I, I am responsible for most of the trouble that's in my life. But if God does choose us to suffer for the, choose for us to suffer for the faith, if that's His will, what are we supposed to do? The Bible tells us how we're supposed to do it. Let's look at what the Bible says. Look at Second Timothy chapter three and verse 12. The Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Uh, It's an interesting thing. Sometimes people wonder, well, I must not be living godly because I'm not really suffering persecution. Remember the word suffer in your Bible has two different ways that it can be used. It can be physical suffering or it can be allowing it. And so as a believer, we might come to the place where we have to allow persecution. For His name's sake. But the Bible says in the passage, we just looked at it before, we're supposed to do it with joy. I wonder how good we would be at suffering with joyfulness. The other thing that is in this, if the qualification for persecution was that you live godly, would anyone want to persecute you? Would anyone, am I living godly enough? Am I living in, in such a godly fashion that if the world got to a place where it hated God so much it had to persecute godly people, would I be one that they would choose? Or would I just blend in with all the rest of the worldly people? Isn't that a good question? That's something that I have to ask myself, and I hope this year that I can become more godly. So God's will is the same thing for all of us. He wants everyone to be saved. He wants all of us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants all of us to be uh, sanctified, to, to abstain from fornication. He wants us all to submit to government. And in some cases, He will want all of us to suffer. But can I t- promise you something? If you will follow God's will, if your life will be God's will, according to God's will, then you can do anything you want to do, because everything that you want to do will be according to His will. He'll give you the desire and the ability to do His will. For it is God, Philippians 2:13, which worketh in you both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Isn't that wonderful? But if we we have to get this foundation... And so now let's go back to Colossians. God's Prayer for Us, Colossians chapter 1. And don't worry, as is often the case, my first point is much longer than the rest. Colossians chapter 1. And let's start reading in verse 9 again. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you... And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're supposed to have spiritual understanding. And what is that? That is where we've looked at it many times. We understand the Bible comparing things spiritual with spiritual. Jesus said in John 6, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at Colossians 3.16. This is the biblical definition of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. "'Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. "'Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. "'Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. "'Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. "'Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, "'not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. "'And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord.'" And not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord God, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. This being filled with the Holy Spirit is described right there. It is letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All right. So now we're back in Colossians chapter 1. So his prayer for us is that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then, the next thing that he prays for us, he, he wants us to walk worthy of the Lord. He wants us to walk worthy of the Lord. You know there are people that won't go to church because of the behavior of people in church. Uh, I, I can't remember who it was who said it, but it, it was some pagan, and he said, I would be a Christian if not for Christians. Of course, I would like to say I'd be a pagan if not for pagans. You know, Lots of pagans are just wicked and awful people, and you don't hear people saying, well, I guess I'll get good because these people are bad. It's just a false analogy. But the simple fact is that all of us as believers, if you say you believe in Him, then walk even as He walked. How is your walk? We're supposed to walk worthy of the Lord. And then the Bible gives us this recipe for doing that, verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. So this, here's where it becomes easy. When you get ready to do something, just ask yourself, would this please God? Would this please God? Will my road rage please God? Man, going to Virginia, speed limit 70 miles an hour, people apparently who never drive are out for the holidays, 50 miles an hour in the left lane. I wanted to run them into the ditch in the love of Jesus. But that would not please God. God. Right, That would not please God. And so that's what I need to ask myself before I run this person off the road. Will this please God? Now, look, don't judge me. I know that many of you feel exactly the same way. Will this please God? I need to walk and drive unto all pleasing. And then look at what it says. Being fruitful in every good work. Being fruitful. So here's the deal. Are you producing fruit for the kingdom of God? Is your life, is your behavior, is your walk producing what is what is the fruit of the believer? Other believers. Are you living in such a way that, that God's kingdom is expanding because you are in it? That's the walk. We're supposed to be fruitful. Supposed to be. How many of you would like to see someone come to Christ because of your testimony this year? Isn't that a good goal? What a great goal that would be. Um, And I think that God will do that if we will walk worthy of Him in a way that does. And then increasing in the knowledge of God. And you'll notice through this text, it's no, 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 no. Not N-O, K-N-O-W. Increase in knowledge. I wonder if you learned something about God and His Word this last year. Are you increasing in the knowledge of God? And then verse 11. The next thing He wants us, not only does He want us to... Be, to, to know his will, he wants us to walk worthy. Then, verse 11, he wants us to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. I don't know about you, man, but sometimes I just, I just feel too weak to live the Christian life. I don't mean physically weak, I mean spiritually weak. Sometimes the responsibilities come as a pastor, and I say, I just can't do this. I can't. The, the pressure of it. Um, sometimes at a funeral, you know, where you know that there are going to be lost people there. And, and it's my job to present the gospel well. There's a weight to that. There's a pressure to that. And I'll go to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't do this. Sometimes it's difficult. You don't know the people, but you know that you have to present the gospel well. And if you say something that's insulting to the family, then possibly the gospel won't be able to penetrate their hearts. There's a pressure to that. All of us feel that way. Some of you, when you walk into the factory, and you know that you're going to be mocked that day. You know that you're going to be tested that day. And you, you, as you're walking in, you say, Lord, I can't do this. Do you know what you need to pray for? That you will be strengthened. That you'll be strengthened. And look what the text says. How are we strengthened? Stre- verse 11, strengthened with all might. Look at this. According to His glorious power. I like it what the Bible says. When I'm weak, He is strong. The Bible says to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Right? Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever tried to take a a nut off with your hands? You ever tried to do that? And then you put a ratchet on it and it comes off just like that. Why? Because it's the power of that leverage. It's It's the tool that helps you. We all go through our Christian lives so often... As if we're trying to to, to take that, that nut off with our hands, when God has given us His power. His power, isn't it wonderful when you get the right tool for a job? Right? Have you ever tried to you're laying some floor or something and you're trying to cut the trim off the bottom and you got to make this square cut? I finally got a tool that does that, and it's I want to cut the trim everywhere. Let me come to your house and cut your trim. It is so awesome to have this this oscillating tool that just does that so easy. And bam, it's done. It's the right tool. You know, doing it with my circular saw didn't work. It left a little bit of a gap. You know what I mean? When you have the right tool for the job, everything is better. And God has given us the tool for the Christian life. It is His glorious power. And yet we're trying to do it ourselves. And obviously that leaves some big gaps, doesn't it? Then look at what we're supposed to do. Look at verse 11 again. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering. What's that last word? The last two words. You know, honestly, honestly, I really do believe that there are times when I can exhibit patience and long-suffering. The with joyfulness is the problem. Because I can wait and I can exhibit patience and grumble the whole time. Get in the car. Laura, how long can you be in that one store? When it's supposed to be with joy. She's saving me money. (laughs) All of us. All of us. Isn't it interesting, the progression? You start by understanding what the will of God is. And then... your walk changes, and your pattern of life changes, and you're pleasing God. And the more that you please God, the more that you realize, I can't do this. And then He strengthens you with His glorious power, and He gives you patience and long-suffering and joyfulness. I'll tell you what, man, there are times in my life where I could use a real dose of joyfulness, and that comes from God. It comes from Him. Then, boy, look at what follows when I'm joyful. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, I want you to think about this. Now, we we say this often. I really do believe that, that thankfulness is the cure to almost every one of our problems. Right? You agree with that? Now, I'm not saying thankfulness is the cure for cancer. We need other issues for that. But I can promise you this. If you go through cancer with a thankful heart, life will be better. Life will be better thankfulness. But what are we thankful for specifically in this text? Look at what it says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light." He has made us meet. He's changed me. You see, I'm not worthy to be an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'm not worthy. The Bible says he came into his own and his own received him not, but to as many as received him to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. Then in Romans chapter eight it says that we are heirs. That we are sons. And if sons, then heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I'm not worthy to be a son of God. God did that for me. How many of you would really enjoy being an heir of Bill Gates, Steve Jobs? Want to be an heir of Steve Jobs? Wouldn't that be cool? Especially if I didn't have to know him, right? Just get the money. That would be awesome. Do you know what's better than being an heir of Steve Jobs? How about being a joint heir with Jesus Christ who made all things and by whom all things consist? That's better. That's better. Then look at what it says. Giving thanks, verse 12 again, unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So now what has he done? He's maybe a part of a family. A family of saints. A family of saints. Dave Spicer, where's Dave? Raise your hand. I, I asked him how Christmas was. Well, he worked Christmas Day, and you know, he's a sheriff's deputy. And I said, How was it? He said, You would not believe how many domestic calls I got on Christmas Day. Why? Because families hate each other. They hate each other. I mean, these people want to kill each other, it's unbelievable. Do you know what God has done? He's made us a part of a perfect family. A perfect. How many of you would have appreciated participating in a perfect family over the holidays? It is so interesting. No strife. The inheritance of the saints in light. What a wonderful hope that we have! When when we when this life is over and we go to heaven, or if the Lord Jesus Christ returns and gathers us away, we're a part of an inheritance with a family with the saints of God. Look around. Is there somebody you don't like? Better get used to it. You're going to spend eternity with them, right? Right? Because you can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your family. We really are. God has put us all together, and the good news is all that sin's going to be gone. We're going to be together. Man, we can be thankful for that. Thankful in advance. Amen. We're part of a family. And then look at what he's done. Verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. The power of darkness. The power of darkness. Do you know that people who are not saved, they're they're not saved. They are enslaved to sin. They're enslaved to it. Have you ever talked to somebody you can tell their thinking is just not right? They're in this cycle of bad decisions and they they can't seem to understand. They think chopping up babies is good. Right? You you, you know how demented you have to be to think that chopping up babies and selling their parts is good? How many of you recognize that that's evil? Right? But but their thinking is corrupted. Their thinking, it's just horrible. Why? Because they are under the power of of the kingdom of darkness. Now, some of these authors have tried to show us that, whether it's C.S. Lewis or Tolkien, and, you know, Lord of the Rings and all that kind of thing. And you see that the power of darkness, that doesn't even come close to describing how evil it is. But God's delivered us from that. And so, you as a believer, how many of you are saved? You know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand on this, but I want you to answer it. How many of you have habits that you know do not please God that you need to be delivered from? Here's the good news He has already delivered you from it. Just claim it. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but He has given you the power to overcome that wickedness. Now, listen, it might not go away forever, but He will give you the moment by moment deliverance from that as you yield yourself to Him. Isn't that wonderful? Now, don't get too proud. Because sometimes you think you're delivered from something, and boom, all of a sudden you're right back in the middle of it. Why? Because you've, not, you, you've forgotten that He's the one who delivered you from it. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in Him, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now, I want you to see this. He hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated. That's past. If you're saved, you are in the kingdom of His Son. That is, you are in Christ. You are in Christ. Isn't that a blessing? And that's forever. You can't get out of it if you're saved. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. Then look at what it says. Why? Verse 14, in whom? Jesus, the dear Son. We have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now, firstborn, that's not chronologically. That's in priority. He's the best That's the one who is praying for us today. We read the passage earlier. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for, what's the Bible say? His saints. Who are His saints? Everybody that's saved. He's made us partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He's making intercession for us. He's praying for us. He's for us. When you mess up, do you know what Jesus Christ does? He tells the Father, It's one of mine. I paid for that. I paid for that. I paid for that. How about we live according to what He has bought? Wouldn't that be a blessing? Are you saved? Have you been redeemed? Have you placed your faith and trust in Him? This is God's prayer for you. Wouldn't it be a wonderful new year if every person in this room walked and strove to live their lives according to the prayer of the Apostle Paul, given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Colossians chapter 1. Let's finish with verse 18 again and we'll be done. And He, this is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. That all things, Jesus Christ having the preeminence in all those things, do you know another word for that? Lordship. He is the Lord. Is he your Lord? Does he have the preeminence in your life, or does your job have the preeminence? Do your children have the preeminence? Do your hobbies have the preeminence? Do your worries have the preeminence? Does your anger, bitterness have the preeminence? How about we give the preeminence of our lives to Jesus Christ in all things? And you know what will happen? Those other areas in our lives will change. He makes all things new. Anybody here? Is there anyone here who could use a new life? He wants to give you one. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What a wonderful promise. Forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's make that our goal for the year. Amen? Amen? Lots of resolutions. Any of you want to lose weight this year? I'll tell you how bad it is for me. I got winded putting my exercise equipment together. (laughs) That's when I know it's time to get in shape. So that's a good goal, a better goal. Lord, help me to be aware of what your desires are for my life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you so much, and I want you to have the preeminence in my life.